Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And I, I won't be able to go through all of them, but I am going to hit a few highlights this morning. But I just want to show you some things about it's ordinary people. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Sometimes the most unsuspecting. As a matter of fact, let me just tell this story before I move on. There's, you know, what probably one of the purest prophetic gifts I've ever seen in my life was an unfiltered, pure gifts of prophetic ministry I've ever seen was in a mentally challenged boy in our youth camp named Dave. And Dave would worship until his clothes were soaking wet with sweat. We're getting ready to start youth camp tonight in, in West Virginia. But Dave used to come. Dave is, is a, a, a too old to come to camp now. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, Dave's married. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And a uh, powerful guy. But, but uh, it, we, we started youth camp. Nothing seems to be happening. There's no breakthrough. There seem to, the Spirit of God doesn't seem to be. And so Dave walks up on the platform to take the microphone. Now, some of them were going to stop Dave. From taking the microphone, I said, just leave him alone. Let, let Dave have the microphone. Because we're scared what might happen in the subjective realm if we really give liberty for God to move. Now, you're going to get some crazy folk, and sometimes you've got to get control of that. I get that. But Dave took that microphone, and he started to prophesy and minister. And when he did, man, I'm telling you, the altars filled up. i never seen anything like this. This kid could hit it. Like I'd never seen a prophet hit it before. And just unfiltered, be able to just spot on. Boom, boom, boom. Just one after the other. God began to use this young man in a powerful way. Another young man that, uh, that uh, he probably will watch this video. I'll, probably, I'll try not to say his name because he watches me. He, he doesn't mind if I share this story, though. But this guy watched me on TV for a lot, and he, uh, a lot of times. And so finally he got to meet me in South Carolina. And so he was like totally starstruck. Now, I don't think of myself at all like that. I don't really understand what the whole deal is of, you know, how people get starstruck. But this guy was like, he's probably on the spectrum of autism somewhere, uh, probably not real bad, but kind of, you know, if you know him, you'll find, you could see that he kind of doesn't have any filters either. So, so this guy, he, he gets, you know, he, he gets me to sign a book for him, and so I signed a book for him, and then he just like, he followed me around the rest of the day. And I, listen, I don't think I'm anything special. So I, sometimes the most important person that's in the room is not the guy you think that's the most important person in the room. So treat everybody like they're the most important person in the room because usually the guy you think is not, that's the guy that is. And so anyway, this guy, uh, uh, the, the following year, the pastor said, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to invite him to come to be in this conference because I know he, he loves you. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and pay for his hotel room and just have him invite him to come. So he invited him to come, and then he said to me, would you like to go with me to pick him up? I said, sure. Can I tell you, when I pulled up to pick him up, he was like, oh, my Lord. Dr. House is picking me up for the conference. So we get back to the hotel. I said, John. I said, said his name. Hallelujah. Sorry, John. Hallelujah. I said, John, would you like to ride with me to church? He said, ride in your car, Dr. House? I said, absolutely. You might as well ride with me back and forth, you know, because we're staying at the same hotel. So we're riding back and forth, and we're, you know, talking a little bit. And on the way home from uh, church one night, I get a call that my sister was in the hospital with COVID, and they put her in the hospital, and she wasn't doing well. I looked over at this kid. I said, listen, John, I said, I want you to pray with me about my sister. 
I said, my sister is in the hospital with COVID. When I said that, John reached over and grabbed me by the hand, started praying in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost fell in that car, man. I said, I have underestimated this kid. I had him work the prayer line with me that night. <laughs> My sister got out of the hospital the next day. Ordinary people. Y'all tracking with me? I, I, see, sometimes we think because we are in ordinary situations that God can't use me. But the truth of it is God will use you. I'm not getting to my text here. I love to, in the times when I sit on the platform sometimes, I love to watch moms in a service who are worshiping and praising. They've got their kids with them and they're praising the Lord. You know, you watch moms from the pulpit and they're like this. Hallelujah. Oh, God, I love you, Jesus. Oh, God, you're wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Whack. Whack. Oh, two karate chops later. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Ordinary people. Grace gifts. Do you know that the gifts of the Spirit are the charismata? The Greek word is grace gifts. Because God doesn't do it because of me. He does it sometimes in spite of me. That's not an excuse for bad behavior. It just tells me that even in my humanity, God can take what I am and use me, hallelujah, for his glory. And as we go down through the different uh, uh, scenarios of this book, we start out with the first one in the book of, of, uh, of Joshua, and his name is, uh, he's Othniel. He is the old, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to turn all these texts because of time. I'm just going to give you a brushstroke. I'm going to show you a few of these guys. And uh, the first one was uh, Othniel. He was Caleb's little brother. His problem was he had the younger brother syndrome. Again, I'm not trying to tell stories here this morning a, a lot, but I, I feel like it helps communicate the, 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 the point I'm trying to get across. Am I making sense to you all so far? I am the second of seven other siblings, or six more besides me. I have a brother that's older than I am who pastors. My youngest son is now becoming uh, his associate pastor and working with my brother in his ministry there, my son, my youngest son has been the producer of our TV program and has done praise and worship but never seemed to have any real interest in ministry. But all of a sudden the Lord began to call him and he is working with my brother right now and doing a great work there with his pastoral ministry as well. But my older brother works with drug addiction in our town. He runs a thing called Life or Drugs. He deals with opioid addicted people and their families. He has a thing called, uh, it's called uh, Life or Drugs. And then for the children of addicts, it is called Team Hope to try to minister to the families of people. How many know this opioid addiction touches every demographic, every family? Come on. It is a national nightmare. And you don't realize. And my brother started to reach out to these people who were addicted. And when he did, the people in his church that were financial supporters said to him, we don't know if we want these kind of people in our church. Until it's their kid. Y'all don't want to help me preach. And so if you're going to minister to these kinds of people, we're going to take our money and go. And so my brother said, I feel like God called me to reach to the hurting people, and therefore, if you got to go, you got to take your money and go. 
So they took their money and went. And he got in the situation where his building, he had to sell his building. And he literally sold his building. It was really a God setup. Now he's in another building now. But here's what I'm after is, in the middle of all that crisis, uh, we were invited to do a conference together. Him, myself, my sister, who is the senior pastor where I, I travel, and my oldest son, who is also a pastor. We were asked to do a conference together. It was four, the four houses. They wanted us to do this conference. When my brother got up to preach, he said, you know, when you have a brother that's successful, you're glad for your brother. But when he's hugely successful and you're about to sell your building, you feel like a failure. And he said, when I go to Lynn's conference, everybody says to me, oh, you're Lynn's older brother. And then he said, when your sister is the successor for your dad's ministry and she takes the church and doubles it in two years and yours you just sold your building you feel like a huge failure and so he's kind of sharing his heart about where he came from and how God was really leading him to touch these people so he he was really feeling the this you know how many how many of what I mean sometimes you can have the younger brother syndrome the older brother syndrome and so I had no idea he felt like that but what he didn't know and I told it when I got up was that I went to town because I got a summons to serve on court duty. And I was going to see if I could get out of it. Because when you travel like I do and people take vacations to come hear you, you can't call in and say, I can't make it. So I'm trying to explain this to the county clerk in my courthouse of what I do. And she says, oh, I know who you are. You're Jack's little brother. <laughs> so in my conference, he's my brother. But in my city, I'm Jack's little brother because he has breakfast with federal judges, with law enforcement officers, with, with high-ranking officials and business people almost every day and has met with families. The undertaker's got him on speed dial because he's done so many overdose for, uh, funerals, which is tragic. But what I'm saying, he's touched so many families. What I'm simply saying is that what happens is that you are successful in your own paradigm or your own assignment wherever God puts you. And when you function where God told you, he will open the door for you and your success will come. You just got to stay faithful. You see, I didn't get here overnight. I, come on, somebody. Even where I'm at in my ministry, whatever level it is, is that I didn't get here overnight. There were some tough days of walking through some stuff where you just had to not compromise your message and stay in your assignment because it was a day, come on, when people didn't want to hear what I had to say. So he, he was the first one. In other words, he had the younger brother syndrome. Ehud was the next guy. He's left-handed. He was a Benjamite. Now, to me, Ehud, to me, who speaks, and, and he was left-handed, but the Bible says concerning Ehud that all Ehud was a two-edged dagger. See, I don't know if you're tracking with me or not. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged Sword in their hand. So I started saying, wait a minute. All of these are pictures of something that we have in the new covenant. Because how I many know we've got the sword. Come on, that's two-edged. That flows from rest. And what that sword does is what Ehud did with it. Ehud was a Benjamite and he was left-handed. How I many know the apostle Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin? And he was the one who preached the message of the finished work. But what Ehud did with that two-edged sword was he drove it into the belly of Eglon, who the Bible said was a very fat man. Now, if the Bible say you fat, 
You fat. It's like God saying, and he was old and well stricken in years. Did the Bible say you old? You probably old. My mom used to say, have you noticed there's no old people anymore? I said, Mom, when there's nobody above you, you are the old people. It dawned on me the other day. There's nobody above me. Are y'all hearing where I'm coming from? What I'm simply saying is that he took that two-edged sword. To me, this is a powerful thought. Because I think that when we're talking about executing the judgment after the death of Yeshua, after the death of Joshua, it is us executing the finished work of Jesus Christ and we take the sword of the Word of God and we have to jam it into an obese religious system. And the Bible is very graphic. It said he stuck it in until the haft closed and the fat closed around it. And when he pulled it out, the dirt came out. Can I tell you that I think the message of the finished work of Jesus Christ does not give us a license to sin. Grace does not enable us to act any way we want to. What it does is it reveals between the thought and the intent of the heart, and it lets the dirt get out so God can get an obese, heavy system with flesh. Come on, and the world, come on, the church that's so heavy with flesh, it is a meat market parade of flesh. And God is trying to get the dirt out so that we can execute the judgment written. And every one of these judges, when they executed something of the finished work, there was some changes that came in the land because the problem was every man did what was right in his own eyes because there was no king in Israel. But this is the book that precedes the book of Samuel and the book of the kings. So what follows these judges is the kingdom. See, the result of us executing the finished work of Jesus Christ is what we sang about. The kingdom of heaven starts to invade here. We're so worried about getting there that we forgot God wants to happen what's there to happen here. And how does that happen? He uses ordinary people that get tired of the conditions of what's going on around them and in their land and the abuses of the enemy that's going on around them with their kings and their nobles. And this honor have all his saints, not just the -the glow-in-the-dark preachers, but everybody in this room. Come on, there is no little Holy Ghost. Kids, come on, adults, mentally challenged. I don't care who you are. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you and you carry something of the presence of God and if our world is going to be changed it's not going to be changed from your couch in your pajamas it's going to get changed as you start to engage in a culture come on somewhere no matter where you're at to become the salt and the light that begins to demonstrate the power of God no matter where we're at because this honor How do we do it? Let the high praises of God be in our mouth. Let a two-edged sword be in our hands. Let's sing from the height of Zion. Let's sing aloud from our beds. Let the children of Zion be joyful in our king. Oh, there's so much to preach here this morning because sometimes we're not joyful. We murmur and complain until we have literally complained our way into unbelief. Ouch, from the pulpit to the door because I'm the same thing. I've had to stop listening to the news because it vexes my spirit so much. And I'm a whole lot more mentally stable since I quit watching it. 
Because I think a lot of times, man, it is nothing but a satanic propaganda machine with not just the news, but all kind of stuff being fed to the minds of people. When we need to start feeding on the right stuff because what you eat and what you feed on is what's going to change the dynamics of what's going on in your life and what's going on around about you. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? Because even in the midst of bad political climates, God might have a Daniel, a Shadrach, a Meshach, a Bendigo, come on, that's going to stand up in the middle of it and they've got a different spirit on them. And they're not hearing from the earth, they're hearing from heaven. And God knows that principalities and powers need to be have some impartation of the manifold wisdom of God. And principalities and powers are not always demonic spirits. They may be the government officials in your city or in our nation. They need some manifold wisdom from God and some answers that can bring about changes, that can bring about, come on, hallelujah, the kingdom of God coming into the earth. And I'm not talking about legislating the kingdom. I'm talking about a move of the Holy Ghost that transforms hearts and minds and not just makes people do what we want them to do. Because if you can take my freedom, I can take yours. But the truth of it is when the Holy Spirit starts to transform and change lives and a real move of the Holy Ghost comes, it starts to change a nation. Hallelujah. Tola was, I think it was Tola was the next guy on the list. Tola's name means a worm. His father's name was Pew. And his grandpa's name was Dodo. You know this kid got teased in school. Shamgar was a farmer. He was not a military strategist. He was simply a farmer. And what the Bible says concerning Shamgar is that the highways were unoccupied in his days. And so that the Philistines occupied the highways so that the people of the land had to go by the byways and by the side roads. But how many know that Shamgar was not a military strategist like Moses? He was a farmer. He wanted to plant a seed and let something grow. And I heard the Lord say, I'm calling people who are willing to keep their garden. Because how many know you're a garden enclosed? You're a spring shut up. And I could preach this one till the cows come home. Because everything Jesus did in his redemptive work, he did it in a garden. He prayed in a garden until he sweated. He sweated until he bled. He bled and one drop of blood cut a curse earth and put the curse in reverse of Genesis. It says you've got to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. How many know he prayed in a garden? He was crucified in a garden. He was the seed of God that was planted in a garden and they buried him in a garden. Come on somebody. And when he got up from the dead and Mary found him in the garden. She walks up to Jesus and she said, Sir, I thought you were the gardener. He, in fact, was the gardener, and he just put him back in the garden, the finished work of Jesus Christ, and reopened the gate of paradise because when they stooped down to look into the tomb, there was an angel standing at the head and an angel standing at the foot of where Jesus had laid. What she just saw was the entrance to Eden because the Bible says that God put two angels at the east of the garden not to keep you out but to keep the way into the tree of life. And when she pointed at the garden, this is the way through the blood-sprinkled mercy seat and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have access to the garden of God again. 
The Bible said in their days the highway was unoccupied. That speaks to me of a highway called holiness. Over the next months, I'll probably develop every one of these. Holiness doesn't mean you glow in the dark. It doesn't mean what outfit you have on. It means completely other than or set apart and consecrated for a certain purpose. The angels of God are not standing before the throne of God this morning going, He behaves. He's got on the right outfit. They're crying, he's holy. Because he's completely other than. There were snuff dishes and tongs in the tabernacle of Moses that were called holy because they were consecrated for the purpose of service in that temple. Do you know what makes you holy? Not that you become a carbon copy of me. Or you cut and paste like you can be some other preacher or somebody you... What makes you holy is that there's nobody else like you on the planet. And as weird as you are, God might use you in your weirdness. I can remember preaching when I was growing up, if you love something, you've got to give it up because it's your idol. If you love your boat, you've got to give it up. If you love your guitar, you got to give it up. If you love music, you got to give it up. And I thought to myself as I got a little bit more mature in the things of God, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. If you've got a boat and you love it, maybe what you ought to do is realize maybe God put something in you with a love of fishing or a love of a boat that you could maybe take a kid whose daddy is an addict or you could take a kid and keep him from becoming an addict and take him fishing, pour into his life. Maybe you could pick up a guitar and show somebody else how to play it. Y'all here tracking with me? Come on. I mean, in other words, we get to realize that sometimes the stuff that God put in us, probably what you're called to do is what makes your eyes light up. I'm not getting far this morning. Probably, I don't know if he'll mind me, but I won't use his name. Anyway, a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles is a good friend of mine. He was a pitcher. He won a couple World Series. I won't say his name for the sake that we might run this on TV. He came to our youth camp one year, and he spoke to our youth camp, and he said to the youth, he said, you know what, probably what you're called to do is what makes your eyes light up. He said, all I ever wanted to do was throw a baseball, and I threw it until I threw it very well. And he said, God used that baseball not only to touch people's lives financially, but through ministry and to be able to touch kids that are coming back now into the league, making ungodly amounts of money that don't know what life is about. And he's able to touch their life. Are you see here where I'm coming from? A young man that got saved in our youth camp filled with the Holy Ghost is a famous rapper today. Another guy just signed a multi-million dollar contract with the Cleveland Browns to play football. What I'm trying to tell you is that when you get to what your dream is, you might ought to realize maybe it was God who gave you the power to do that so that you can do something for the kingdom and use that kind of a platform. <laughs> Hallelujah. Gideon was a coward. He was the next one, one of the next ones on the list. He was a coward. And he was hide, threshing wheat, hiding it under the wine press. Let me just, before I get to Gideon, there's two I want to really emphasize on. There was a woman named Deborah. Say what? Yeah, God uses women. <laughs> Who'd have thought? My pastor is a woman. I make no apologies about that. Hallelujah. Pastor Kathy, I appreciate your ministry. Hallelujah. But these women were more brave than these men. Thank God for the women in the church. Sometimes you've taken a bad rap. I apologize for all the abuse you've taken. 
But the reality of it is, is that there was this woman then working with Deborah by the name of Jael. And Jael was in a tent. And Sisera was fleeing in the battle, and the battle was being raged, and they were pursuing this king, and he runs into the tent of Jael. And she tells him, come on in the tent. He says, I'm exhausted. She said, lay down and take a nap. He said, I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk. All of this stuff we'll preach. Because when you give people the sincere milk, and that dude lays down, his name, Sisera, I think, if I'm not mistaken, his name means the carnal mind. And Sisera takes a tent peg, or Pastor Bill, a nail, King James says. She took a nail, tent peg. And the Bible said while he was sleeping, she went softly, put that nail on the temple of his head and took a mallet and drove that nail through that dude's head and nailed him to the floor of the tent. Hence, she nailed that dude. Say, how does that preach, Dr. Howes? Because the word nail, there's the same one that's used where they nailed Jesus to the cross. And how many know sometimes we need to take the nail of the finished work to our carnal mind and run it through there until we get rid of every high thing that lifts itself against the knowledge of God? Are y'all tracking with me? Hallelujah. And so we come down through these heroes of faith. Gideon was a man who was threshing wheat under the wine press and hiding it under the wine press. And when I think about wheat and wine, I think about bread and wine. I'm thinking of these are new covenant elements. How many can see that there are pictures of what Jesus did through these 12 judges? Because how many know when we eat the bread and we drink the blood, we remember the covenant and we stand in that covenant. But here was Gideon threshing wheat and hiding it under the wine press. Had enough for me and mine and my family and nobody else. Don't let my vision get bigger than just me. And God divinely interrupted him one day and shows up and says, Hey, mighty man of valor. He'd be like, who are you talking to? Maybe you need to go see JL. <laughs> or Shamgar, because that dude took an ox goat and killed 600 Philistines. He opened the highway. Because one day he got tired of taking the byways and the sideways, and he said, this is my road. I said, this is my road. I said, this is my road. I'm tired of the sidetrack. I'm tired of dodging the sideways. I'm tired of going through the brush. I'm tired of the briars. I'm tired of, come on, somebody, avoiding what I've been called to do. Come on, touch your neighbor. Say, this is my road. And I'm going to take my road today. I'm taking the highway. And if I take the highway, woe be to anything that gets in my way that's an obstacle to the purpose of God. And then God shows up to Gideon and says, hey, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. And Gideon says this, who are you talking to? Or at least I'm thinking that's his thought because he had to, he did, he did, it took a couple fleeces for him to really believe God said what he said he could do. Because what God does is he calls what he sees, not what you see. Some of the most powerful people in the world are in this room this morning. I'm going to say it to you again.
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.